And so let's flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning. Let's look at, um, as the Apostle Paul continues to uh, speak with us about running our race, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And so again, as we consider the times that we're living in, as we process everything that goes on in our lives with the Word of God, again, I don't think it's an accident where the Lord has us. When, when this pause is done, we will have another opportunity to get into the blocks at the starting line and to run our race with the Lord. And so Paul says, I'm just going to go back a few verses, get a running start. Um, Paul says in chapter 9, verse 24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or self-controlled in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown but we for an imperishable crown. In fact, I mean, just think about great athletes. What do they do? They sacrifice the present for the future. They modify their diet and they modify the, the things that they involve themselves in in order that they may be in tip-top shape in order to win the prize. But we, listen, for an imperishable crown, a crown being laid on our head by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and then hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And so Paul goes on, therefore I run thus, in light of receiving this crown and, and being self-controlled, I run thus not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. In other words, I'm purposed, I'm directed, I'm doing those things in my life in order that I would be, remain usable for the Lord, that I would be used for His glory my life. I don't, I don't throw my punches all over the place. I'm purposed, I'm directed, I'm focused on what the Lord has called me to do. I'm about the Lord's will, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So Paul's speaking about self-discipline here. And he's talking about discipline, spiritual discipline. Um, I would say, as we look at this this morning, what are spiritual disciplines? Reading our Bible and praying, serving the Lord, using the gifts and callings that God has given us to further his kingdom, to share the gospel, to make disciples, to, to spend time uh, pouring out our lives for the Lord, using the time that we have left, the time, the talents, the treasures to, to see his kingdom expanded, to see people get saved, and to see God get all of the glory. And so as we move into chapter 10, verse 1, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, and I just want to stop there just for a second. Moreover means now indeed. Paul is building on the previous idea here of not being disqualified. Again, Paul spoke about self-discipline in those previous verses, verses 24 to 27, and he's saying here, I want to discipline myself so God doesn't have to discipline me. And God does discipline those 
whom he loves. God loves me so much that he will discipline me if he has to. And so Paul is warning us about that in this chapter. With great privilege comes responsibility in our lives. And so look what he says here. Moreover, brethren, family, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And so Paul says, listen, I don't want you to be continually out to lunch here. I want you to be aware. I want you to know. I don't want you to miss out on these lessons, these lessons that we learn from the past. And I think it's so important not only to learn from our own mistakes, but also to learn from the mistakes of others. And that's what the Apostle Paul is communicating here. And he speaks about all our fathers. Who is he speaking of? He's speaking of the children of Israel um, as spiritual ancestors who teach us certain lessons. And you guys remember what happened with the children of Israel? They were in bondage in Egypt. They cried out to God for a redeemer, for a deliverer. And what did God do? God responded by sending Moses to them. Right, God sent Moses, and then God miraculously delivered the children of Israel from Egypt. You guys remember the plagues and, and all that happened uh, to them, to the, to the Egyptians there. God delivered them out of Egypt in order to bring them into the promised land. And what should have been a, a few-week journey or a month journey from Egypt into the promised land turned into 40 years of wandering for the children of Israel. Why? Because of their unbelief and their disobedience. And so Paul first, though, recounts some of the blessings that God had given them. Number one, they were under the cloud. And you guys remember the amazing cloud of God's presence that was with them? Can you imagine every day God's cloud covering, protecting, uh, protecting them from the elements um, caring for them, leading them. The cloud would lead and guide them. It would be a pillar of fire at night. I mean, can you imagine not being able to sleep? You're tossing and turning, and so all you do is just open your, your tent door, your whatever, your flap, and you look out, and there's that pillar of fire. Oh, awesome. You just look at the presence of the Lord in that way. They all experience God's presence in a special way, his provision, his protection, his care. And, and the, the point that Paul's going to make here is that as Christians, or the Corinthians, the Corinthian Christians, as us as Christians, we've experienced these blessings as well. God's provision, his care, his presence with us. And then notice also, speaking of the children of Israel though, in verse 1 at the end, they all passed through the sea. They all passed through, we know it was the Red Sea, and you guys remember the miracle that happened? The children of Israel were pinned down. The Egyptians coming at them, they were caught between a rock and a hard place. And God delivered them. Moses lifted up his staff. The waters parted. And you've got two walls of water. And the children of Israel walked through on dry ground. They made it all the way across, right? And then what happened? The Egyptians tried to follow after. And then all of a sudden, once the last... Uh, 
Israelite passed through, the waters collapsed and wiped out the entire Egyptian army. And some people try to say, well, it was the Reed Sea, like so-called scholars. It was the Reed Sea, and it was two feet deep, and it was kind of a, a, a swamp or a, a... Listen, it wasn't a swamp. It was the Red Sea. And, and, I, and if someone ever says that to me, it's like, well, wait a minute here. Then That was a really great miracle, wasn't it? God drowned the entire Egyptian army in two foot of water in a swamp. That, that may be even a greater miracle, pal. Chew on that for a little bit. So, no, pray for me. That's not probably the way to handle it. But notice in verse 2, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And so we see this ancient uh, picture of baptism and communion also. All the children of Israel were baptized into Moses under his leadership. Um, And so again, in the cloud and in the sea. So it's an Old Testament type of what we have in Jesus Christ. All partook of the same spiritual food. What was the food that God provided? The manna. From heaven, right? Six days out of the week, God would provide this manna. I mean, so amazing to consider. And uh, they all partook of that. They all partook. And that, that bread that God supplied for them, um, it says spiritual food. It speaks of supernatural food. But it satisfied. It took care of it. it the manna had everything needed in it to, to all the daily requirements that they would need to, to survive and to thrive under God's care. And it all pointed forward to Jesus, who is the bread of life. And so, in fact, uh, the bread symbolically represented the body of Christ. And so, the, they all, it also says, Paul writes, they drank of that spiritual rock. This is an amazing verse. They drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Isn't that amazing? Everywhere they went, the rock followed. Jesus following them. And you remember it was from the rock that the water came to take care of the the, the thirst, the, the washing, all those needs that the children of Israel had. And it's interesting just to consider that. Remember, God told the first time when the children of Israel were crying for water, God told Moses to do what? To strike the rock, and out of it would flow water for them. And that's what Moses did. He smacked the rock, and water came flowing to all the people. Imagine that miracle. And then later on, we know, again, that rock providing for them. And then later on, the children of Israel were griping and complaining again. And you guys remember what happened? Moses came out, and God told him, God had told Moses, speak to the rock, and water will flow to, to satisfy the needs of the people. But what did Moses do? He misrepresented God, didn't he? He took the staff and started beating the rock. And listen, God still provided for the people. He loved the people. God wasn't mad at the people. Moses was mad at the people. And so that was the disqualifier, actually, for Moses to even go into and to lead the people into the promised land. Why? Because that rock was Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful picture of our Lord and Savior Jesus, who he was only struck once in order for us to be washed of our sins, in order for us to be filled with that living water, in order that out of our hearts would flow rivers of living water. Now all we have to do is to ask him to fill us up, to refresh us, to flow from our lives. Jesus wasn't smitten over and over and over again, only once for us. And so Moses kind of messed up this picture, this type of Christ in the Old Testament. And so Paul reminds the children of Israel, or reminds the Corinthians rather, of all of these amazing blessings 
that the children of Israel partook of. Same way with us, the amazing blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. We are so blessed, but look what it says, but, that's a, that's a, a, a conjunction, there's a, there's a thought that he's going to build on here, but with most of them, speaking of the children of Israel, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. That's heavy. The majority, most, the majority, God was not happy with them. And remember what was going on with the children of Israel. They made it across the Red Sea. They have a worship service. They're partying. They're they're like, yeah, thank you, Lord. They sing this amazing song about God's goodness. And all of a sudden, the griping and complaining begins. No thanksgiving. They complain. Total inward focus. Unwilling to walk by faith as God had called them to, and they became, it's interesting, the the word here, not well pleased, it's the same uh, root word or same Greek word we find back in chapter 9, verse 27, for disqualified. In other words, they, with most of them, God was not well pleased. Most of them were disqualified. And think about that. That's the understatement of the year. There was only two of that whole crew that did not get disqualified. You remember who they were? Joshua and Caleb right? They were the only two of that generation that didn't get disqualified. The rest, it says, look what it says, the rest were scattered in the wilderness. The, the rest got wiped out. Great was their fall. Because, just like Jesus spoke about the, the, the wise and the foolish builder. They were foolish builders. They heard the word, but they didn't put it into practice in their lives. So what did God do? He, would, he started a fresh work through the next generation through their children, those generation of uh, wilderness wanderers, their kids would be the ones to enter into the promised land. And so Paul now gives us five, five lessons or five warnings that we are to learn from the children of Israel. So let's read through these, and then we'll go back and, and, and break it down a little bit. It says, uh, now, verse 6, now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things, listen, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And so let me draw your attention back to verse 6. Um, We're told twice in in these verses that these were examples, these things. The children of Israel were partakers of these amazing blessings from God. But listen, it didn't translate into obedience, a loving, trusting, obedient walk with God. And so there's a major lesson here that we need to take away from this. They were radically blessed, but were disqualified brutally. We've been radically blessed by the Lord. We experience his blessings all the time, 
and it should translate into a loving, trusting, obedient walk with Jesus. And so there are examples. There's a pattern, literally a pattern for us uh, to learn from here. Um, the intent, it says also in verse 6, there's a purpose. If we don't learn from failure, we're doomed to repeat it. We're doomed to make the same exact mistakes. And so God's, listen, I would say also, very important here, just a side note, is that God's word is relevant, every part of it right now. Even the Old Testament stories. That's why sometimes people say, well, why should we go look at those old stories? Well, we're told right here why. Because there are lessons for us to learn from. And not only that, we're told in Romans 15 that, that the scriptures give us comfort also. Those are just a couple of reasons for our admonition, for our training, for counseling us, but also for our comfort as well. Um, and so God's word is relevant right now, every single bit of it. And here's the other lesson. If we don't bring our lives, ourselves, under the discipline of the scriptures, then God will have to help us out. And I don't know about you, but I don't really like discipline. <laughs> I don't like God's discipline. And, some, and he's so good, he's so patient with us. He turns the volume up slowly to get our attention. And so the first warning here is we are not to have an unrestrained desire for or a lust for what? Look what it says with me uh, in verse 6. We're not to have an unrestrained desire for evil things, those things that are ungodly just like the children of Israel lusted after um, those things. The Apostle John warns us in his first epistle um, about the lust of the flesh. Lust is like a wildfire. It starts with just a little spark, and then if it's left unchecked, unrestrained, it turns into a raging fire that is harder and harder and harder to contain. And I believe that the Apostle Paul is making a reference back to Numbers chapter 11. Again, the children of Israel were complaining. They, they were complaining about the manna. They were complaining, all we got is this manna. Manna in the morning, manna in the evening, manna when the sun don't shine. I'm sick of this manna cotty, manna bread. I'm just tired. We want meat. Give us meat. And we know that they, the children of Israel were, were um, some of the things that they were saying about God. Did you bring us out into the wilderness to die, to kill us here? It would have been way better for us if we were back in Egypt where there was leeks and garlic. And, and they speak about Egypt like it was Club Med. But remember, they were slaves being beaten and whooped. And now they're set free. God's taken care of them. And so in Numbers 11, God gave them quail, all the quail. Those that wanted to stuff their faces with quail sushi, they did till it was coming out of their nostrils. And then a plague came upon them there. And so very heavy. God gave them what they asked for but brought leanness to their souls, it says uh, in the Psalms also. And so that temptation of lust, when that temptation of lust comes, we have to deal with it right away. And so the first warning is against to lust after evil things. We need to be careful of that, guys. The Bible tells us to guard our hearts with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues or flows the issues of life. Number two, verse seven, what's it say? Do not become idolaters, as were some of them. So idolater, what's an idolater? It's, it's a person that puts things above God. Someone that worships and serves the creation rather than the creator. 
In fact, the Apostle John also warned in his first epistle, the last thing he says is, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Stay away from worshiping and serving anything else but the Lord himself. And so notice it says, some of them became idolaters. Not everybody, in verse 7, some of them, uh, but there was a whole segment that did. Um, and you guys remember what happened there. Remember when Moses had gone up on the mount, right? Mount Sinai to receive the commandments from God. He was up there 40 days, 40 nights. And the people are like, talking to Aaron, getting on Aaron's case. Dude, where is he? Where'd this guy go? Where's Moses? Why isn't he here? We need to get going. We need to do something here. We need to start moving, start doing something. And it's hard to wait, isn't it? Some of you right now are waiting at home. And you're sitting and you're waiting and you're waiting. That is a time to press into the heart of God. Rather than press into God's heart, what did they do? They came to Aaron, belly aching, and said, make some gods for us that will lead us out of here. And so what did they do? Aaron had all the gold collected from all the children of Israel. And he fashioned this golden calf, right, for the people. And he gave it to them. And said, hey, uh, let's, let's have a sacrifice. And so the, what did the people do? They start partying. They had this big party. there, and, and what happened is God told Moses, come on down from the mountain. Your people, <laughs> your people, Moses, have turned aside to chase after foreign gods, chase after false gods. And it's interesting as you see that, go back, the conversation back and forth between God and Moses God tries to give the people to Moses, and Moses gives it back to God. They're your people, Lord. And so Moses comes down the mountain with Joshua, and, they, and Joshua hears the music playing in the camp. And he's like, oh, there must be something going on there. And Moses is like, there's a party going on. And so they get down there, and Moses, first thing he does is he breaks the commandments that he was carrying down, boom, right in front of everybody. And can you imagine? This dance is going on. This party is going on. And he goes and he talks to Aaron and says, what in the world are you doing, man? What happened here? He said, you know, you know the people. He points to the people first, right? Blame shift. You know the people. They, they, they were impatient and, you know, they gave me their gold. I threw the gold into the fire and poof, out came this cow. What else can you do but get, take off your clothes and dance if that happens? It's like... He, and Moses was not a happy camper. You guys remember what happened. He took the golden calf, ground it up into powder, put it in the water, made the people drink it, and then he drew a line in the sand. Those of you for God, you get on this line. Those of you not on God's side, and there was judgment. There was judgment for those people that were, that were worshiping this golden calf. And by God's grace and the intercession of Moses, only 3,000 people died, and not the whole nation God said, I'll start with a whole new name. Moses, I'll wipe out everybody. I'm going to get rid of everybody and start afresh with you. And Moses interceded for the people. But it's interesting what it tells us in another place, in Psalm 106. It tells us that they forgot God, their Savior. They forgot the Lord. They began to worship a false God. And the word worship means worth-ship. It means, to, to, uh, it means you evaluate the worth of something and devote your life to it or dedicate your life to it. The, the question is this morning, do you worship God? Do you worship the Lord? 
Well, how does one, maybe you're saying, well, Mike, how does one evaluate that? Well, what do you give your time to? What do you seek first? What are you willing to sacrifice for the most? What do you long for most passionately? What are you afraid of losing? Where do you run for comfort? What do you brag or boast about? Whose approval are you seeking? I would throw this in there. How do you describe yourself to others when people ask you? And so the children of Israel, the warning is about idolatry. And so number three, the next warning in verse eight, nor let us, Paul warns us about what? Fornication, sexual immorality. That's sex outside of the marriage bed as prescribed by God in his word. And some of the Israelis, some of the children of Israel um, got involved in sexual immorality. And it says, in one day, 23,000 fell. And you guys remember the story. This was in the book of Numbers, specifically from Numbers chapter 25, the children of Israel got involved with the Moabites and began to worship their gods and, and partake in their practices. And it all, it all stemmed back to, you guys may remember uh, this dude named Balaam, right? A prophet for hire. King Balak of the, of the Moabites had called him to come to curse the children of Israel. And so Balaam eventually came, but he was unable to curse the children of Israel. And Balak, the king, was, was so ticked off. He's like, dude, get out of here. I brought you here to curse the children of Israel. I'm paying you big money, and you're not doing it, man. You're fired. Get out of here. Get on your little donkey that talks and take a hike. And so he took off. And then on second thought, what did Balaam do? He does a U-turn, comes, ba- comes back to the king, King Balak, and says, dude, I know how to wipe out the children of Israel. Here's what you got to do. You have to get them out from underneath God's protection. Get them out away from the the protection, the safety of God. And here's how you do it. You send your beautiful women out of your city over to their camp and entice their men to come. And they're going to come. And they're going to make, and when they come to your city, and then you introduce them to your gods and to how you worship their gods. And guess what? You got them because now they're out from underneath the protection of the Lord. And that is exactly what happened. The children of Israel started messing around with the Moabites, the Moabite women, worshiping their gods. And it says, in one day, 23,000 fell. I mean, can you imagine? Imagine having that on a video right now, and I showed that to you. Would that, would that be a pretty serious warning about sexual immorality, that God takes sexual immorality pretty seriously? Well, these are real people, real situations that happen. God has not changed. His morals, his standards, his desires, and he does not want his children involved in sexual immorality. When we come out from under his covering from the protection of his word, the security of his word, and to get into things, involved in things that we shouldn't get involved in. We're leaving that covering, just like the children of Israel did, and get involved in things that we have no business being involved in. It's dangerous, and it's a warning. These warnings are serious that Paul is giving uh, the Corinthians and giving us this morning as well. And so... Uh, 23,000 got wiped out, and, and, and again, there's people that um, have problems with the Bible, and they say, well, back in Numbers, it says 24,000 died. 
yeah, 24,000. You need 23,000 first for 24,000 people to die. So 23,000, but read it. What does it say? In one day. And then, then probably the next day, once the plague ran its course, the total was 24,000 people had died. And so no problem there. The problem is you don't want to submit to the Word of God. For those of you who have a fight with the Word of God, problem with the Word of God, you're judging God's Word rather than allowing the Word of God to judge you. And that is a dangerous place to be in. That's why we need to allow the Word of God to search our hearts, to see if there's any wicked way in us. Any of these things that we're reading about, that's three so, fo- so far. We have um, two more. Look what it says, verse 9 with me. And then he says, Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. So Paul warns us about tempting Jesus. Can you tempt Jesus? Man, that's heavy. And remember, Jesus said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God um, when he endured the temptation in the wilderness from Satan. And that word tempting means to test to an unwarranted degree. And so some of the children of Israel tested God, um, which invited God's judgment. And you remember over and over and over again, they tempted God on multiple occasions. They accused God. They provoked God because of their unhappiness. And remember in this occasion when they had done this, Numbers chapter 21, the Lord did what? The Lord allowed serpents to go into the camp to bite them. And if you were bit by the serpent... God provided an antidote. He provided a a way to be healed. And what was it? Moses made this bronze serpent that was to be put on a pole. And anyone that looked to that bronze serpent would be healed, would be cured. And and in fact, you remember in John chapter 3, when Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus, he he, he touched back on that passage uh, in reference to himself as Jesus was lifted up on the cross that he would be the provision um, for healing in our lives, the healing of, of the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and one day the presence of sin altogether for us that look unto him and place our trust in Jesus alone. And so the warning here about tempting Jesus, we need to be careful. And then maybe you're saying, you know what, none of those things have nothing to do with me, Pastor. No way. Well, what about complaining? Ooh, that's heavy, isn't it? Verse 10. Number five, Paul warns us about complaining, grumbling, murmuring, just like some of the children of Israel did. And what was the result? Their complaining, their murmuring invited judgment. In fact, it's it's kind of a spooky verse. It says, some of them were destroyed by the destroyer. They got wiped out by the destroyer. And you may remember that scene was the rebellion of Korah. Korah was dissatisfied with his place in ministry, and so he led a whole rebellion of people against Moses and Aaron, and uh, they were rebelling against God's leaders, the the people that God brought, uh, put in place and leadership in their lives. And not only that, Korah and the guys, they were discontent with where God had them in ministry, and so they were complaining, uh, and there was complaining all around in the camp of Israel throughout their time in the wilderness, um, and you know what? All, listen, and here's the thing. God viewed the complaining. As you look back, he viewed all of the complaining against him. 
They express their unhappiness under their breath, murmuring. That's what murmuring is. They not only express their unhappiness under their breath, but they also did it straight to Moses' face. They vocalized their displeasure, their dissatisfaction, um, often right in Moses' face, and, and he endured What's so amazing about this dude, about Moses, is that he endured regular opposition. They were dissatisfied with the work of God through his life, and they let him know. And so Moses, and Moses was so patient. Um, he was for them. He had God's heart for them. And so um, let me just remind us today that all complaining is against God. All complaining is against God. And hasn't God been good to us? He's been so good to each and every one of us. Yes, listen, yes, there's been some hard stuff. Yes, even right now, many of us are facing hard times, hardship, and difficulty. But can I remind you this morning, you're loved by God. God loves you with an everlasting love. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He gave His Son for you. He gave His Son for you. Not only that, he gave you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with you. He's in you, leading and guiding and molding and shaping your life. He's given you, he's given you gifts in your life, spiritual gifts. He's given you a plan for your life with purpose in your life. He wants to use your life to, to impact others for all eternity. You can store up your treasures in heaven, even right now. What you do in this life, He is for you. He is not against you. He's working all things together for good in your life. He'll, he's with you. He'll never leave you nor, forsa nor forsake you. Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you can say, I fear no evil, for He is with me. He's working all things together for good. He answers prayers. He heals. He helps. He's given you a family, a community of believers that loves you. He sustains you. He nourishes you. He cherishes you. Listen, you and I, we have nothing to complain about, absolutely nothing. And if you go down, listen, this morning, if you go down that road of complaining, it'll produce nothing but a root of bitterness in your life. And you'll get so tweaked, you'll get so tweaked, you won't see anything good that God is doing in your life or what He's done in your life. And that is, listen, that is a toxic place to be. If you're there right now complaining about things, complaining, it, you're complaining against God, it is toxic, and that's right where the devil wants you to be, not where the Lord wants you to be. You become so focused on what you don't have rather than what you do have. It's the same, it's the same repackaged lie that the devil has been using since the beginning. Remember with Eve, God's holding out on you. God's holding, he's, he's keeping stuff from you, from your best life now. And listen, God does want the best for you right now. But his plans, his purposes are best. And everything he is doing, he's working together for good in your life and in my life. And what happens with bitterness, what begins to happen, we buy into we buy, into, um, we buy into ungratefulness, unthankfulness. We buy into the lie of the devil that, that, that God is holding out on me. And you know what begins to happen? It's pride. It's pride in our hearts that says, I deserve better. Man, man, God's not giving me what I need. Whoa. Listen, this morning, you need to repent. If you're there, these warnings are given to us. 
that we would not be disqualified like the children of Israel were disqualified. It says, as we read through this entire passage, most of them, most of them, only remember, only two did not get disqualified. They walked by faith and not by sight. They said, Lord, we will trust you no matter what. You're greater than giants. You're greater than, our pro- You're greater than all the issues and circumstances we face, that our lives are in your hands and we are okay. We're, we're down, Lord, with whatever you got for us. We know you're leading, you're guiding. All those blessings translated into simple faith, simple love, simple obedience in Joshua and Caleb. Listen, this morning, complaining will dry up your worship and suck the life right out of you. And so we're warned here about that. We should not complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. And notice verse 11, all these things did happen to them. Again, real people, real situations as examples, as a reliable precedent, as a reliable pattern for us to learn from. They were written. These things were recorded in God's word, by the way, more than once. In the Psalms, these are recounted. Nehemiah recounts um, some of the, uh, the stuff that happened with the children of Israel. And it says also they were written for our admonition. That word admonition is a, such a cool word in Greek. And, and here's what it means. To set place the mind in the needed direction. Did you catch that? To set place the mind in the needed direction. It also means calling attention to. It also means exhortation. And it's also used for counseling too. So who's this for? Who's this counseling for? We're we're sitting in counseling session here with the Apostle Paul this morning. Who's this for? Look what it says. For who? For those upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Guess who that's for? That's for us. The last days have arrived. It is the last time. According to John, even back in his day, 1 John, he said it is the last time. The Apostle Paul said on numerous occasions, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is coming, and we are to receive His counsel. We're to receive His admonition, and we are to walk in it. And also, Colossians 3.16, we are called to admonish one another, to counsel one another. Well, what do we use for counseling? Do I need to go get a degree? Do I need to go online and Google it, or do I need to go somewhere? Listen, the Word of God, we're to counsel with the Word of God of God. Point people to Jesus, who is the wonderful counselor. In fact, as parents, we are to bring up our kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Same word that we find here as, as, we, as we admonish one another and counsel and encourage one another and help people to see clearly in light of the times that we are living in. So Paul gives a wake-up call here. Sinning is not good. You don't want to get disciplined. Well, maybe you're sitting here this morning, or you're sitting there this morning, and maybe you've had a hard time eating your waffles because that was heavy. Maybe you're saying, well, what do I do? How do do I overcome temptation? How do I deal with the things that I'm facing? This is a reality, Mike. I'm seeing this in, in my face, sexual immorality, lust, idolatry. Man, I'm being, I'm being tempted in these areas. How, how do I overcome temptation? Listen, this morning, number one, do you want to overcome temptation? Number two, do you want to honor God with your life? Because he gives us the instruction right here. 
as we finish up this morning, last few verses. Look what it says. Therefore, in light of that, in light of what's just been communicated, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. This is so awesome. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape. Why? That you may be able to bear it. Isn't that glorious? Therefore, in light of this, let him who thinks he stands, who is that? The person that thinks he stands. That's the person that says, I'm, I'm established, I'm immovable, I'm mature. I know this already, pastor. I've read this. That's for weaker Christians. <laughs> that's, that's for the JV team. I know these stories. You ever dealt with someone like that? They say that? I know that already. I know. I know. They got the case of the I knows. Make it happen to any of us. He who thinks he stands, take heed. And the Corinthians, Paul's already dealt with the Corinthians' pride, right? This issue of pride in their lives in chapter 4, chapter 8. And I think as we, as we read this story, for me personally, it's easy to point the finger at the children of Israel and say, bad, you know, bad children of Israel. But listen, this can happen to any of us. Let him who thinks he stands What's, the, what's, the, what's between, stand, between standing and falling? Take heed, right? What's wedged in there in verse 12? Take heed. Don't point the finger at them. Don't think that you got it dialed in. Don't think that you've arrived spiritually. Take heed. Continually be watchful. To continually direct your thoughts uh, in, towards the Lord, towards His Word. Weigh carefully what you're reading and studying, and that, that, that begs a question, am I really giving attention to what I'm reading? Am I giving it careful meditation? I'm bringing that up because as you consider, as you consider the athlete that's training, there's no shortcuts in training. If you want to win the prize, it takes hard work, it takes dedication, it takes endurance. We live in a culture where we want everything right now, easy, easy fix, and what happens? We get lazy, spiritually flabby, rather than really spending time meditating upon the Word of God. Allow, Psalm 1, right? Blesses the man who does what? Who meditates upon the Word of God day and night. We give the Word of God a, a deep, rich place in our hearts, and we meditate upon it. We don't just get our personal pep talk online or, for, or, for, or from some devotional we spend time with Jesus every day in His Word. We dig deep. Listen, there's no shortcuts to growing a, a deep spiritual walk with the Lord. Listen, I'm not down on devotionals. I'm not down on if you get stuff in your inbox, so please don't write me a letter about that. I love you. I want to encourage you this morning. There are no shortcuts. We are to take heed, to weigh carefully the Word of God in our lives. Why? Lest He fall. I may wipe out. You may wipe out. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit 
before a fall. And so the warning, if we want to avoid temptation, if we want to avoid being disqualified, wiping out, what's the first thing we need to be reminded of? To walk in humility. To walk in humility. Remember what happened to Peter? Jesus told his disciples what? He said, listen, when the shepherd is struck this night, all the sheep, all, all y'all, he didn't say that, but that's a loose paraphrase, Every, all the sheep are going to scatter. You're all going to flee. And remember what Peter said? Not me, Lord. No way. Not, remember, I'm Rocky. Remember, you gave me the name change? Even if all these other bozos bail out, I won't. I'm with you. I'm the varsity Christian. And what, you guys remember what happened? Cock-a-doodle-doo. That's all you need to be reminded of. And he fell. And so, and the Lord restored him. And it's, so, and it's so amazing to consider that. But it's a lesson that we need to learn from. It's a lesson we can learn from our, in our own lives. When we start to think we're something, when we're not, it's a dangerous place to be in spiritually. And so, number one, we walk in humility. And then look at number two. He says, no temptation, no enticement to sin has aggressively laid hold of you except which is common to man. In other words... Temptation is part of the human existence. It's part of, of being a human. Don't think that you're the exception. Every single one of us gets tempted. But I need to remind us this morning what James tells us. James said in James chapter 1, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and is enticed and enticed, then when the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And so Paul reminds us that what? We all face temptation. And maybe you're sitting there going, Well, that has no God has no idea what I'm being tempted with. Yes, he does. The Bible tells us about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that he was tempted in all points, yet without sin. And what are the temptations that we face? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. However, we're going to be tempted, and look what it says in verse 13, God is faithful. Listen, can I remind you today, God is with you, that he is faithful, he is reliable, he is dependable, and what's the promise? He will not permit you to be enticed to sin over and above or more than your strength or more than what you are able. And I have to stop there just for a minute because sometimes I hear people say, God will never give you more than what you can handle, son. And I would say, where does it say that? Because God gives me all the time more than I can handle. If I could handle it, I wouldn't need God. I need God, and He allows a lot in my life that I have to, everything in my, I have to look to Him in all things. This is talking about temptation to sin, and so the promise is here with the temptation, when there's an enticement to sin, God provides what? A way of escape, a successful way out, an off-ramp, if you will. Why? So you have the power to bear it. I love, I look at this word bear, it means to be carried safely away from danger, to keep from falling. And didn't God do that with ancient Israel? All these examples we read. Remember when the children of Israel 
were dancing around the gold calf. Moses comes down and Moses issues that warning and says, hey, he that is on God's side, you get on this side, and those that are not, you want to stay, keep involved with, with, with idolatry you, and fornication, you get on that side. There was a way of escape right there. Perfect example that we read about um, back in the Old Testament. David, when David sinned with Bathsheba, I know that's not mentioned here, but God provided a way out for David there. Jacob, when he tricked his dad Isaac, God gave him a way out from, from being a phony and from trying to work over and, and rip off the blessing um, from his father. And so God, provi- God provided a way out for the children of Israel when they were bit by the serpents to look, to, to look up to the bronze serpent on the pole. And I guarantee there's probably some people that said, you know what, I don't want to look at my, that's a dumb idea. No way. But God provided a way out. And God provides a way out for each and every single one of us. Why? Because his word said so. God is not going to put you in a situation where you have no other alternative but to sin. God allows temptation and he always gives a way out, a path from it. In other words, he's saying you don't have to do this to yourself. You don't have to do this to others. I have a better way for you. And I know you've experienced this in your own life. I have. God's way of escape. Are you listening to the warnings? You can get out of this. You can bail out. But before you go too far, God provides a way out. Maybe this, maybe this morning you're listening and you are tempted to go down. A certain, you're, you're being tempted. Maybe you're involved in something. God is saying, listen, right now, this is your way out. You're hearing this message I love you. You're going to wipe out. You're going to be disqualified. It's time to get back on track. God is with us. He provides for us. The question is, am I looking for the way of escape? And will I take the way of escape? God promises it. Do I look for it? And will I take it? Well, I got to look at one more verse because we have one more minute. Look at verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Sometimes the way of escape is to run, to take off, man. You got legs, your legs work, take off, leave, run, flee. We were told earlier, flee from sexual immorality. You guys remember Joseph in the Old Testament? Potiphar's wife kept coming on, coming on, coming on. And he had purposed in his heart to say no. He did not want to be disqualified. He didn't want to sin against God. He purposed in his heart, I don't want to sin against God nor against Potiphar. He's entrusted me with this entire place. And it would be, it would be wickedness to be involved in that. And day after day, the temptation comes day after day. And he's resisting, and he's resisting, and he's resisting. And it's so heavy now, what happens? All of a sudden, he's alone. Joseph is alone with Potiphar's wife. And what happens? She wants him to lay down with him. And what does he do? He runs. He takes, he flees. He sees the way of escape. This is the only way to get out of this. He didn't say, you know what? Maybe I should minister to her in this way and lead her to the, no, no, no. Takes off. On out of there. And that listen, this is so important. That was a huge, huge victory for Joseph. Well, wait a minute. How could that be a victory? Pastor, he ended up in prison. Well, he was falsely accused, thrown into prison. If not, if he would have succumbed, 
If he would have given in to that temptation, he would have thwarted, wiped out what God wanted to do in his life. Joseph was not disqualified. And listen, this morning, God does not want you to be disqualified. In fact, let me remind us as we close what Jude tells us about Jesus. Now to him, speaking of Jesus, who is able to keep you from stumbling. Did you catch that? Jesus is able to keep you and me, my precious brother or sister, to keep you and I from stumbling. That's in this life. And then the next life, and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. You know what that means? That means one day when you pass through the veil into eternity, when we all stand in the presence of the Lord, it's going to make Jesus really, really happy to present you and me faultless. Can you imagine the son saying that to the father, this one's mine, with a big smile on his face? And it's because he endured. He endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. May we endure laying aside the weight and the sin that would slow us down, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for your word this morning, for how you've ministered to our hearts. We trust that the songs that we've sung this morning together have blessed you, have honored you. And now as we consider your word, we thank you for how your word has built us up on our most holy faith for how you've encouraged us, how you've challenged us, how you've warned us. And we need each and every bit of your word, Lord. So thank you for the nourishment. Thank you for helping us get our hearts and minds affixed in the right place, to set our eyes upon you. May we make your word the most important influence in our lives. May we walk in the things you're teaching us to be looking for your return. Thank you for your grace that teaches us. Looking for your return. Ready to see you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for all of your promises are yes and amen. And this morning, you've been listening, and you personally do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And this morning you realize and recognize that, that you need Him. That you need His forgiveness. Jesus loves you. He demonstrated His love for you by coming and dying on the cross for your sins and mine. He suffered, died, and was buried and rose again on the third day. And He offers forgiveness. He offers life. If you will repent, if you will turn from the direction you're headed, turn from your sin and place your trust in Him and Him alone. For there is no other name under heaven which a man can be saved but the name of Jesus. You just open your heart this morning to Him. If that's you, you can pray a prayer right where you're at. You don't need a pastor, preacher, book. The Lord has you right now. Or maybe it's later, later this afternoon. And it's just you and Jesus alone. Because he brings every one of us to that point. 
where it's just you and him. And you need to make a decision. That line is drawn in the sand. You're not promised tomorrow. You're not even promised your next breath. He's upholding your next breath. If you don't know him, that you would, you would open your heart to him right now and invite him into your heart. It's the most important decision you'll ever make is concerning your eternity. It's the reason you were created is to have a relationship with him, to walk with him, and that walk would end in heaven. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And you just pray. Say, Lord Jesus, I have sinned against you. Thank you for dying for me. I'm admitting I am a sinner. I'm in need of your forgiveness. And I don't want to keep going down that trail. I'm turning and I'm opening my heart to you. Would you come into my heart? Forgive me. Change me. Give me your Holy Spirit. I don't want to go back to my way of life, those old sins anymore. I want to follow you and walk with you. And listen, if you pray that prayer, would you let someone know? Would you let us know here at Calvary Chapel? The Bible says in the book of Romans, I'm going to read it to you. As a reassurance, as a reminder, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Can I encourage you today, if you prayed that prayer and made that that profession, that you would let someone know, let us know. Reach out to us at Calvary Chapel, send us an email, give us a call. My precious brothers and sisters at home, may the Lord bless you this week as you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. May you experience his sufficient grace that his strength is made his strength is made perfect in our weakness. We need him. May we look to him. May you be blessed in Jesus name. Give it all to